Hey everybody out there in RPG fandom, it's Greg, and I'm here to give you some news before we get into episode 163, this time hosted by Caitlin Argyros. Well, it's been a busy couple of weeks uh, for myself personally, it sure has been busy over the website as well, though the features department has been pretty quiet. Some of you might know Neil Chandran best for all of his review work, but uh, I really appreciate him for all the PR work he does at the website. He is on top of connecting with every single developer that reaches out to us or that we want to reach out to to get these reviews and get review codes and everything for us as well. So Neil, thank you for all the hard work you do. And uh, to that end, Neil put a lot of hard work into taking on yet another daunting Nuzlocke challenge and going into Pokemon Y with all the daunting rules that challenge uh, presents. To that end, he wrote up a feature that details the entire journey that he took in the Pokemon Y Nuzlocke challenge. That shiny new feature aside, you can also check out Switchport When, which is uh, 40 speculative ports that many of the staff would like to see brought to the Nintendo Switch. Also, I was remiss last time I said Dark Cloud, which I still would love to see on there, but also I would love to see War of the Lions ported over to the Switch. They've been holding off on porting that to anything but handheld for the longest time. By handheld, I mean like iOS and Android devices. I want it on the Switch. I want that sweet, sweet port to take handheld, but also put on my big screen because it looks stunning and I never had a Vita to play it on, so give me that Final Fantasy Tactics on my Switch, please. Oh wait, nope, I lied, I forgot. We have some more crowdfunding chronicles. Tina's been busy uh, looking at a bunch of different Kickstarter and Indiegogo titles, and has compiled another list of four for us over the past few weeks. Uh, we've got some magical cat girls on there, and some zombies, and a bunch of cool looking stuff. So go check that out if you want to see the latest and greatest from the indie minds out there in the world. The reviews department has been pretty busy over the past couple weeks. Uh, first thing I want to talk about though is a little off the beaten path of what we usually cover here at RPGFan.com, and that would be a review of Alex Kane's latest entry in the Boss Fight book series. Jonathan Logan went and took a look at Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, while also I think doing a simultaneous playthrough of the uh, classic RPG. Trucking along though into the uh, regular scheduled content that we have here at RPG Fan. Sword of the Stars The Pit was reviewed by Joe Chop. I think that's how you say your name. Joe, I'm sorry if I butchered that. Uh, it's an older title that came out in 2013. Old being relative, I guess, at this point. But uh, he gave that a review for us to kind of fill in a gap in our coverage and reviewed it pretty uh, positively. So if you like a roguelike RPG, this might be something for you to check out. Not too long ago, I brought on a couple of new hires to join the video team that we're starting to build here at RPG Fan. One of those is David Lloyd, who jumped over to reviews while we still work on the startup process for, uh, for videos here. He took a stab at Zenkai Zero Last Beginning for us and jumped into that uh, survival horror kind of visual novel RPG. Reviewed it pretty highly as well. If you like the spooky stuff, David's got some good thoughts for you on that. Pathway is a sweet looking strategy RPG that up until recently wasn't really on my radar, but Bob Richardson dove into it to have a look. And while he seems mostly positive, he does say there's a few things that it's just missing the mark with. Still, the style of it definitely uh, has my attention and I do want to check it out for myself at some point. Audra Bowling braved the Caligula effect overdose for us over at the site and it is definitely coming up a little short for her. While there's a lot of strong elements, the gameplay really tanks the game which is unfortunate for a game that's looking quite polished in so many other respects. Hey, remember last episode when we had Nathan on? We chatted about Dragalia Lost, and guess what? He did a review on it, and that's the last review we have for this week. So go check out his uh, positive thoughts on this really sweet mobile title. Another exciting extra that's come up on the website recently is uh, the continuation of Caitlin Argyris' hands-on preview of Edge of Eternity. 
We talked about that a couple episodes ago, so go check out her thoughts that she's now put to paper and just to see uh, how Midgar Studios is developing this sweet traditional RPG for us. Despite it being a light week in the music reviews department, boy do we have a good one. Patrick Gann got his hands on the Time Spinner original game soundtrack and took a look at uh, Jeff Ball's fantastic work for that little Metroidvania darling that we all love so much. So if you had any doubts about playing Time Spinner in any way whatsoever, check out the reviews of the soundtrack and the game at RPGFan.com. And hey, that's it. You can find everything else over at the website as well. Uh, enjoy this episode hosted by Caitlin Argyros, episode 163 of Random Encounter. Welcome to episode 163 of Random Encounter. I'm your host for this episode, Caitlin Argeros, Leanne Cazero on the boards. And see, I'm still used to saying on the boards. I'm never going to stop probably like automatically saying on the boards. I meant to say on social media because at this stage in the game, that's kind of where we're conversing with a lot of our readers um, on Discord, Twitter and whatnot. So that's where you can find me. You can also find my two excellent panel members for this podcast, uh, uh, in a variety of places. Let me introduce them to you. We have Mike Solosi. Hi, yeah, I'm Mike Solosi. I'm at the Real Monsoon on Twitter, Monsoon on the boards, Monsoon Mike on Discord. The trick is to confuse your listeners by naming yourself a different thing everywhere. Good job there. Oh yeah, that, I did not plan any of that in advance. And I, and I also have a second Twitter account that doesn't have Monsoon in the name at all. It's just, I'm just a total mess. What? But that's like your brand. Yeah, I, I know, but I, I couldn't resist the name Evoker for Dogs as a Persona 3 fan. <laughs> okay, you're forgiven for that. And then we also have Alana Hags. Welcome back, Alana. Hello. Thank you very much. Uh, Alana Hags here. I am diving falcons on most RPG fan-related stuff, but Twitter, I am just my name, Alana Hags, and it's really, really nice to be back. Yeah, it's been, it has been, we were talking about this before the show, it's been, um, just about a year or so yeah. since the last episode uh, that we were both on, I think, which was uh, our post E3 episode back in last July, I think. Yeah, and I don't think I've been on random since maybe October 2018, I want to say. So, yeah, I've definitely been absent, but I'm here now. So that's we are we are super glad to have you back. I am super glad to have you back because I always love to have a little more feminine energy on our shows <laughs> or at least on random. <laughs> Because I'm usually I'm... surrounded by guys. Ah, uh, yes. More that big chick energy. Yes. <laughs> that is definitely one way to describe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as you probably have guessed, Greg cannot be with us for this episode. He is uh, swamped with some real life work. Exciting work, but busy work. So he couldn't make it for this episode. Although you will, by this point, have heard him giving his customary uh, pre-show introduction where he runs down some of the uh, latest uh, reviews and news from RPG fans. So at least in that sense, he's still on the show. And of course, he's here with us in spirit. And we'll be back um, if hopefully nothing goes wrong 
I will be back for our next episode. So, of course, look forward to more Greg uh, on episode 164. Um, but with all the introductions aside and that little disclaimer out of the way, let's start talking about what we've been playing. Um, so I guess I'll start with Mike. We want to talk about, and you had a couple of games you wanted to mention, so I'll let you pick like which one you want to lead off with. But tell me, tell us what you've been playing. Uh, well, uh, all right, let's just lead off with the thing that I've been playing the most recently and will probably be obsessed with for another few months. I resubscribed to Final Fantasy fourteen. Yes! And um, uh, a little bit of background on this. I played FF14 for four or five months in late 2016, early 2017, um, mostly from peer pressure from RPG fan people, and I really, really liked it. I played through the Realm Reborn storyline and got uh, a couple classes, or I'm sorry, a couple jobs to level 50. But then I got really bored by the mess of quests after... uh, the Realm Reborn story, and I sort of decided not to resubscribe my, uh, um, oh, not to re-up my subscription after it had run out. But now, two years later, I got my tax return. I decided, you know what? Why not? I'll go back into Final Fantasy fourteen. I kind of miss it, and I am really, really enjoying it again. But the uh, uh, the downside to this is I've only been back in it about two weeks, and I'm still not to Heaven's Word yet. <laughs> there are so many qu- quests <laughs> in between Realm Reborn and Heaven's Word. Yes, there's a hundred of there's a hundred of them. Yeah. Oh yikes. Very uh, quality. <laughs> you said that you you got to Ramu the last th- time. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I beat the Ramu trial and I have not started the 2.4 stuff yet. So I am somewhere in the 55 to 56 to 55 to 60 quests in range. Okay. Well, of of the 100. Well, you're making good progress, and I mean. Um... For people that have been, of course, watching our streams, uh, Scott's been doing a new character, replaying through the game, and he's... Now, of course, it's Scott, and Scott can play through games really quickly and seemingly effortlessly, but he's he was proceeding through at a good clip as well, so depending on your time availability, I don't think that you should have much trouble getting caught up in time for Shadowbringers. Yeah, I'll, I should be able to make it before Shadowbringers. The thing is, I'm compelled to do my da- all of my daily quests every day which i, I <laughs> yeah. probably which i don't know probably is not very good for my time management but it is helping me level up all of the uh jobs i mostly ignored during my first run so uh yeah i'm, I'm collecting a lot of tomes of poetics and leveling up characters a lot but um the goal is to get to the end of heaven's word by the time shadowbringers comes out because um uh the w- the way the the way the pre-order bonus for Shadowbringers works is if you buy Shadowbringers, you get Heaven's Word and Stormblood for free if you don't already have them. It's not strictly a pre-order bonus, just so people are aware. Oh, uh, yeah, that's correct. It, it's just a it's just it's just a purchase bonus, not a pre-order bonus. the The special earring that boosts my experience is the pre-order bonus. Right. Right. But the uh, but I own Heaven's Word, but not Stormblood, so. Uh, Stormblood won't kick in on my account until the sh- my Shadowbringer code, my Shadowbringer's code activates. So I'll be doing only up to level sixty content for a while, but then I can start Stormblood and Shadowbringers in early July when that drops. Well, you have a lot to look forward to because Heaven's Word, and you've heard this before, of course, and so of our listeners. But Heaven's Word is. It's still, to my, in my opinion, it's the best expansion content currently, including Stormblood. I, I think that Stormblood isn't quite uh, up to as as good, even though it is 
just fine on its own. So I very much look forward to hearing some of your uh, reactions to Heaven's Word plot points when you get there. Yeah, I, I, uh, now I'm pretty bad at avoiding spoilers because sometimes I'll even seek them out myself. But, but I know what the, uh, I know what the final boss encounter of Heaven's Word is. But, and I know that you fight dragons a lot. But other than that, I don't really know what goes on. Like, like just Realm Reborn content. I, I'm still enjoying it because you unlock just a dozen more dungeons and, and trials at level 50 and you continue to unlock as you more as you complete more story content and I I love the FF14 story I love dungeons and trials I've done exactly one raid but it was pretty fun and I, like, like the, the basics of FF14 I really love I, I love the job system I just don't like the the mind the questing minutia of MMOs in general, and FF14 has a lot of that. Yeah, and I guess that doesn't that doesn't super change even in the more recent content. So it's just kind of a thing you 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 deal with, I guess. Yeah, and I'm I'm dealing with it. Uh, I just wish that there was fewer uh, quests, mandatory quests to do between Realm Reborn and Heaven's Word, and I'm still stuck in the middle of that. But I'm really in, uh, enjoying my time back with FF14 because I truly did miss it. I, I would think about resubbing. Oh, like once a month or something over the past two years. And, and finally just, uh, Aww. yeah, finally got, uh, just decided to get back to it uh, a few weeks ago. And, you know, the, the great thing is that, uh, they're, they should be implementing world visits almost actually right when this podcast goes up, this podcast will be going up right. the mm -hmm. same week that they patch in world visits. So you will now be able to travel to like, you and I are both on Hyperion, but you'll be able to travel to Leviathan and see all of our other RPG fan peeps that are on that server and vice versa. I'm looking forward to showing my house off to people that I know are in different servers and never got a chance <laughs> to see it. So I'm, I'm content just staying in inns for the time being. I've heard too many horror stories about final fantasy 14 real estate. Mm, but you'll it's so good when you can get it <laughs> yeah i just let yeah, fc leaders deal with that you're on a european server of course but i know you were playing How, are you still subbed no so i i think i actually unsubbed about the same time as mike did so it's, i've been unsubbed for two years um i'm on moogle on the one of the european servers but um yeah i haven't had the chance to rejoin um i've been chomping at the bit really i haven't even seen like 2.5 no 3.5 or stormblood or anything beyond stormblood so it's all going to be exciting i haven't even played it since they updated the way that um like attacks and the they even the like they changed the way that attacks worked didn't they so they like minimized sub skills and the number that you needed to have on and things yeah and, yeah so i haven't even experienced that <laughs> my hot bars were completely messed up because of the yeah. change to roll actions yeah, so I've been out of the loop for a long time and I do think about resubbing a lot, but it's not really doable at the moment and there is some stuff I'd need to sort out. I would probably move off of the server I'm on and mm. go somewhere else um, at this point. Um, there's just things, but we don't need Join to get Join us across the board. <laughs> I would have to pay for that, I think. I'm pretty sure. So, regardless of whether the... Because I think Europe have had their, um, or are currently at the end of their um, world transfer or world visit. I'm not yeah. sure. So, they, they started before the North American is just starting this week, I believe. So you, you guys might be at the end of yours since they staggered them. Yeah, I think so. It might even have been finished, but yeah, um, my Eliza ninja is dying for me, although she might turn into a Aura ninja at some point. So, 
Dragon ninjas. Yeah, exactly. There's so many of them, though. I remember how many I used to see in when Ninja was... Well, well there are going to be a lot of bunny girls and lion boys in That's a few true. months. So. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm looking at those lion boys, and I'm, I'm thinking my Mikote warrior would probably have cooler-looking armor as a... Uh, <laughs> as a lion boy warrior <laughs> uh, I, I should say a uh, Hrothgar warrior so I, I've thought about it but, but it would 100% because of cooler armor and not because I dislike my cat boy <laughs> there are so many cat boys as well that's true you know maybe I should have him evolve into a lion boy that, that is, that is kind of like going from a second stage Pokemon to a third stage you leveled up <laughs> you got level 60 content let's level up <laughs> Well, I'm super happy that you are getting back into 14, Solosi, because it's always, you know, it's fun to play with uh, with members of the site and members of our our readership, as some of you guys have been doing in our streams, and that's always cool. And um, I mean, yeah, I just look forward to seeing, you know, what you think as you keep uh, moving through the content. And of course, you know, you know, you've got me and Liz and Mike and a bunch of other people on the site. If you ever need like bodies to do stuff you just uh you 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 get on that link uh, link pearl and you call us up and the adventurer squadron will come and <laughs> and kill i do look forward to doing that but you you really don't need to and if at 14 they give you uh like like the the duty finder is really good at helping you get a party together when you have to do multiplayer content and you can play through a lot of the game solo yeah so it's uh, I do want to raid and run dungeons with you guys, but it, I'm not in a hurry exactly yet because, again, I, like I'm doing fine on my own at least for now. Yeah, well, the content that you're running is so yeah. Old oh at this yeah, point and, that, yeah, oh. and I and I can and I can like I can buy rank 120 uh, armor for rank 90 content based on mm -hmm. item levels. Yeah. So it, it's I'm I'm cruising right now, but there will be a time where I ask for help. <laughs> Well, that's not the only thing that you've been working on as of late, correct? Right. Um, I guess let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, I recently finished playing East the Oath and Felgana about a week ago. It, uh, I, I sort of started FF14 a few days before finishing that. And uh, we recorded a couple podcasts about it for Retro Encounter, this uh, Random Encounter's sister podcast. So those episodes should be up by now. So you can listen to uh, Hillary, Tina, and I talk about uh, Oath and Felgana in particular, and East in general during those podcasts. I think I ended up like jabbering about every single East game in those two <laughs> episodes. But but even though it's ostensibly supposed to just be about Oath and Felgana, but uh, I, that was my second time playing the game. That game's awesome. It's only ten hours. It is so fun. It is a hundred percent worth it if you uh, if you like action RPGs. And uh, please listen to those two podcast episodes if you're interested. But before I got into Felgana or FF14. I spent a lot of February and March playing Octopath Traveler, the Switch RPG by Square and Acquire with uh, a lot of the Square Enix staff that worked on uh, Bravely Default and Bravely Second. I think they share like a few writers and producers, but it's not exactly the same team. I was really anticipating that game when it came out last year, and I bought it when it came out, but I only played the first hour or two of... Uh, I basically just finished one chapter out of 32 <laughs> when I played it in 2018. But I've decided, you know what, I really want to get to the end of this and not and cross it off the list. So I started it in February. My learning curve with that game was so strange because I didn't like the beginning when you just have one or two characters in your party. It like that sort of defeat. I, I always like having a, a team in an RPG. And then when I finally built a team and was starting to cross class and 
uh, explore the world a lot more. I really, really liked it. I loved tinkering. I loved the character designs. Uh, the story was was just okay, but that was uh, but I let it slide basically. The it's visually and and musically stunningly beautiful. There's a lot to love about Octopath Traveler, but then I started liking it less towards the end because. It's a bit of a hollow narrative. Uh, the characters barely interact. You might have a couple lines of dialogue when you have certain char- combinations in a tavern, but in the main story, it's really eight one-person stories and not w- one eight-person story. And uh, I don't want to say bewildering or jarring. Those are two harsh adjectives. Just, just a little... I don't know, it just felt a little off. And I think that uh, by the end... And there is a sort of final, final area where if you beat all 32 chapters and then complete a couple side quests, you unlock a hidden boss. And uh, I, I did that hidden boss, and it was it was cool and challenging. The boss fights in this game are great, but it it really felt sort of empty to me. It's uh, it is like a game that's less than the sum of its parts, because the individual parts that are great—the music, the visuals, the character designs, the boss fights, the job system—like all of that is great. But overall, it feels like I don't know, like like the overall rating I would have as a lower number than the individual category ratings. It it, it was a strange one to me. But uh, people that are, you know like that kind of old school RPG design and uh, don't want to get it on Switch can get it on PC in about a month or two months. Yeah, so that was, I guess, even in this day and age where like it's becoming more and more common for games that came out only on consoles to make their way to PC. I think. Uh, at least some of us were still surprised that it it got ported. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and it was a it felt like a weird coincidence because I, I I not a lot of people were playing Octopath Traveler in my circles in March of this year, and then <laughs> a week after I finished, there's a rumor about a PC version. <laughs> it, it it wouldn't have uh, changed my behavior or anything because I bought it on the on the Switch last year when it came out, but. Uh, this is this is a cool game in a lot of ways, even though I was ultimately slightly disappointed by it. So it's it's good that it will be able to reach a broader audience very soon. Uh, I want to ask, um, what was who was your favorite character and or who had your favorite like overall story? Oh boy, um, it's hard to say. Uh, by the end of the game, strangely, my favorite character was probably Tressa. Because yes. I liked, I, yeah. I liked a lot of, I liked a lot of the tricks she could do. She had a sidestep move and an MP uh, restoring move, and she could give JP to people. I'm sorry, uh, BP to people, without uh, without using items. And if you combine those skills with some advanced skills, she's just awesome. She was like the anchor of my party by the end game. But and her her story is very is interesting. It's a little it's a, it's very upbeat. She's an extremely positive character. But my favorite character was probably Hanit, just because I, <laughs> I I liked how no nonsense she is, and uh, and I liked how her storyline was always uh, all of her boss fights in her story are are hunting beasts and not and not clashing against humans. So it's like so Hanit feels like a a struggle against nature and also a. Uh, and also to try and um, locate her mentor, who was who's a fun character on his own. Uh, basically, I didn't. I I liked Hanit's story a lot because it fit who she was, and I just I just like her character type. But even though I didn't always love her speech affect, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very heavy-handed. Yeah, it's it's like it's like reading a Brian Jake's novel and uh, all the weird accents he gives animals like moles. <laughs> Uh, for the for, uh, shout out to all the Redwall fans in the audience, but 
there's a lot of style to Octopath Traveler. Like, it looks so beautiful, and it has so many cool ideas, but just the story feels so disjointed that I, um, th that it made me like the game less. Like, I found parts of Ophelia and Primrose's stories just either incredibly mm -hmm. boring or in poor taste. Uh, mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> I like Cyrus and Ulbricht's stories, but they felt sort of normal and predictable. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's like these were, in a better RPG, these would have been eight important side quests and not a real main story. Yeah, and I've heard other people say the same. I, I uh, have put my playthrough on hold because I've been doing, well, what I'll be talking about when we get to me. I've been playing the Trails games. Um, so I've gotten through all the Chapter 1 stories for all eight characters. And, um, I mean, even even when you're doing that initial Chapter 1 stories, it's very clear that these are, like, just almost entirely separate stories, that there isn't really interaction of any kind. I, I'm guessing I'll, when I pick it back up, now that I have everybody, I'll start ha seeing some of those party dialogues that occur every once in a while. Yeah, if you walk into a tavern, and there, you'll be going into taverns a lot in this game, because that's where you switch out your party, and you have a specific combination of three characters in your party at the time, then you will unlock some little dialogue scenes. And there's probably, probably a bunch of them, probably at least 30. But it's not the same as having a team present for every story moment. And even during the, the final battle, where you have to have all eight characters available, it's still basically just them monologuing. And uh, not your character's monologuing, the villain's monologuing. There's no character interaction even when they all have to be together. It, it, I, I think that party banter is, and dialogue is really important in an RPG. Yeah, especially, and uh And the fact that this game sort of eschews a lot of that I, I didn't love. And I'm just repeating myself by now, but, uh, like, the... I, I really enjoyed the game at first once I got into the swing of things, and I started liking it less and less when I... when the storyline felt increasingly hollow to me, even though the plot points themselves were occasionally pretty good. So I guess when they do another game in the series, because I think there's little doubt that they would... at least that they would want to, but... Oh, I, I think it's already confirmed. Where there's, They're making a uh, Octopath mobile prequel. Oh, yes, you're right. And, and I think that they confirmed that there is an Octopath 2 being made, but we know much less about that. Right. So hopefully, maybe, in that game, they'll be able to allow for party interactions. I know, I know on the one hand, you have eight separate characters with their own... Um, plot lines and all of their stories are pretty much very personal and limited just to them but like it should be doable to allow for the variation you see other games that do that that have different dialogue depending on who's in your party obviously mass effect dragon age both of them do that fairly well and the party banter in those two games are a major highlight and if we had 10 percent of what's in a bioware party based game in in octopath then i would feel much better about it yeah. So here's hoping that's something we can uh, look forward to. <laughs> Square, of course. Please look forward to it. Please look forward to more party banter in Octopath Traveler 2. Please? Please. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? or? Oh, I don't know. Um, let's see. In February, I played uh, Time Spinner. That game's amazing. 
Oh, I'm sure Alana is very happy to hear you say that. <laughs> oh no. yeah, no, I I let her know I was playing it, but but it was uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that game's awesome. And a rev- a music review of Time Spinner's soundtrack recently went up on the website, and that seeing that reminded me. Oh yeah, I played Time Spinner a few months ago. Reminded you. Like well, you don't remember anyway? No, I, I well, I I did remember, but we were well, like I I saw that when we were when uh, when we were having our pre-recording meeting on what to talk about for the podcast, and it's like, oh yeah, time spinner. <laughs> yeah, that game's amazing. But but that game is amazing. I mean, if if you have any uh, enjoyment of all of uh, 2D non-linear exploratory action RPGs, uh, then you should play that. Well, that sounds good. And I think that's a good segue since we have Alana here to talk about what Alana has been playing. Yeah. So um, really, I've been focusing a little bit on mm, visual novels, I guess. Um, So I've got a review coming up on the website in a few weeks time for a little game called Arcade Spirits. And I kind of picked this up because I'd heard some really good things from uh, one of our sister sites, RP Gamer. Um, Sam Watcher did like a little write-up on it, and she was extremely positive about it. She was raving about it, talking about how inclusive it was, and talking about how fun and lighthearted it was, and how it brought her a lot of nostalgia. So I thought, hey, you know, I'll give this a go. Because visual novels and I don't really get on that well. Like, they tend to be really tropey, they tend to force things, and... So I went in with a bit of trepidation, but came out after a few playthroughs feeling really nice about it. So the premise of Arcade Spirits is you're a, you've just been fired from your old job and it's set in some distant future. It's 20XX because we can't be bothered to give it a year date or anything like that. It's just been <laughs> on the script. Is, isn't that the literally the exact year that the, all of the Mega Man games take place in? Well, there you go then. It's obviously a shared universe with Mega Man, so I'm now disappointed that Mega Man did not turn up at all. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm intrigued. Go on, please. <laughs> um, so you've just lost your job and your flatmate um, or your roommate tells you to download this app. And this app is apparently this all-seeing, all-powerful thing that can find you the perfect job and also find you the perfect partner. So um, you download it and she iris her name is this app she matches you with a arcade job now being the future arcades are kind of these rundown areas where nobody goes they're like a slice of history for everybody um but you get the job um the funplex it's called and it's run by this really cool old lady called francine and she's like 85 it's her husband's old arcade and she's now running it um she loves it she's got pac-man earrings and she's wearing cardigans and knitwear and she's cool and she's got a good sense of humor um but you kind of get acclimatized you start off as a floor manager walking around and doing things um but it's standard visual novel gameplay so you just read a lot of text and when people come along you talk to them pick options and things like that um so it doesn't break any kind of boundaries but it does do some really cool things so it is primarily a romance game but very early on you get an option you get a couple of options so iris is determined to match you with someone who's perfect for you but she says to, um, you get this option when she tries to sell this idea to you you can either be you can either go out and say oh if anyone i meet you know i'll flirt with them and see where we go or you can pick a kind of middle ground and say oh well i'm not looking for it but if it happens it happens and then you can pick an entirely platonic relationship option and depending on which one you pick your answers 
throughout the entire game are different and your relationship oh, wow. at the yeah your relationships at the end of the game end up differently so if you pick the full-on romance option then you will end up in a romantic relationship with one of the six characters but if you pick the platonic one then it will just end as you being friends so it's really nice that you have that amount of control because sometimes like for a first playthrough i don't always know off the bat i feel like i have to know who i'm gonna pick straight away or at yeah. least by like two or three chapters in and i don't like that so i went for the middle option which is it doesn't change too much um it gives you some slightly flirtatious options and some standard options um but um then it can develop in whatever way you want like your options are basically like oh i just want to be friends or your partner will be like oh well i don't want this to be a serious relationship i don't want us to put labels on it and things like that so it's pretty cool with that and um yeah, I was really surprised by that, especially when I went back and did a second playthrough and picked the more romantic options. You could see, like, the difference in the answers you could give. Like, it's only, like, one additional option you can pick, but it's really interesting to see that because it kind of caters to a lot of people, and I know that's quite cool. Um, I was surprised by it. It's not really anything I've ever seen before. Usually it's just you go all out or you have nobody and you're just friends with everybody, which is great. But like, if you want to get close to someone but not be romantic, then you don't really have that option. And I thought that was a really neat touch. Um, I think it appeals to a lot of people. Uh, but the other big thing that this does is your um, app tells you about five different personality types. Um, and these are quirky like quirky basic which is just kind of standard steady which means you're kind of a balanced person kindly which means you're very nice and sweet and loving and gutsy which means you're sometimes gung-ho for things and many of the options in these games this game um kind of cater to those um you're able to track these as you play um but you can also turn on an option at the beginning of the game to show you which option is which personality type so if you don't want to go in if you don't want to like try and work out yourself it's pretty easy but if you want to play like really casually and like figure out basically which person you want to date likes which personality trait then you can and it just makes it a really easygoing experience and I know visual novels aren't like really demanding, but again, sometimes some of the options can be really vague with their personality types. So having that extra option is nice. I went in blind the first time, but the second time and every other time I've gone through with them on just to see the difference in them. It's um pretty cool. Um, And then obviously each of the six, there's six people you can date and you beat them all at the arcade. So three of them work there with you and three of them are regulars. You have... Um, someone who likes Naomi, who likes tinkering with machines, and she basically keeps the upkeep of these um, little arcade units. And then you've got uh, you have Percy, who is a he comes in and plays this one game. It's called Moopy's Magical Maze or something like that, and it's basically like a really cutesy kitty dungeon crawler that it's kind of a bit like Bubble Bobble as well in a way, Aww. kind of puzzly and <laughs> yeah, he goes in and he's trying to break the world record, but he's in there every day and so there's just kind of like a wide variety of people and sexualities and genders as well, so I didn't say this, but at the beginning of the game you can pick your pronoun, you don't pick a gender you pick a pronoun, which is oh, another wow. really, it's another really cool feature and it doesn't affect who you can and can't date later on. None of the characters are tied to any of like any sexuality at all, so they'll just go along with whatever you prefer or whoever you end up with. And 
Yeah, so it's whatever the player wants. That's that's a good way to do it. Exactly, yeah. Um, there's some really interesting threads as well, like some characters are not sure, obviously not sure of themselves, but there's a really interesting discussion later on with one of the girls called Ashley. She's a, a cosplayer and she works at the arcade. Um, she's the mascot. She likes to dress up in bunny outfits and she does um, cross-playing. So at one point she dresses up as a butler from a fighting game that's about... Um, various maids and butlers that are trying to hold the best tea party. So <laughs> Okay, no, no, that that is a game I am 100% more interested in than Moopy's Magical Maze. Right? Yeah. I was yeah, so surprised. Uh-huh. It sounds so good. So she dresses up as one of the male butlers um, and then she has this whole discussion with your character about, oh, I don't know, like, I'm Ashley but sometimes I just want to be this person or that person and I don't know what I am or what gender I am or what I feel like and it was... There's, it's a really it deals with a lot of personal issues really heartfelt and really well um it is a bit clumsily written i will say uh it's being a game about video games it has to drop references everywhere but um and it's not very subtle about them either and it's definitely a game written almost like a i don't know it reads like a kind of um on a teenager's inner monologue i guess um but it's really fun and I was pleasantly surprised by it, even with the praise that it had got, because um, ju- I just came out of it feeling really nice about it. And I feel like visual novels I really struggle with um, because they tend to go down these very heavy-handed trope routes and like even going as far away from dating sims and going to stuff like Steins Gate, which I can't get into at all. Like It's just so heavy and so got so much filler, but this is like just the perfect amount of you can romance you can't there's text but there's not loads of it and it's just a nice trip and i think it's a real pleasant surprise and i hope that it picks up a bit more and a bit more steam because it was really fun and it's not usually my cup of tea so to come out of it pretty positive is a nice feeling well i definitely always feel like when you play something that you you feel like it's not in your wheelhouse, it's not your preference, and you come away loving it, that's that's like a sign that this is something really special. Yeah. I mean, it's not incredible. Like, it's definitely got some... It's even, like, three months down from release, almost. Uh, we've still got typos. There's still a bunch of um, interface issues. They've been fixing stuff up, and it's not the prettiest game, and it's not the nicest sounding game, and it's a bit clumsy, but it's got heart, and I think that's all I can ask from it, really. And like like you say, I came away with a smile on my face and that surprised me enough. So it was a really enjoyable little um, run through and I'll probably squeeze through another playthrough before the review goes up just to see everything because I love the cast. All six of the characters are really, really good. I haven't gone into depth with them because I don't want to spoil any of them and like set up any preconceived ideas because I think they're best like experienced in game because you do start off initially i was like "Mm, i'm not sure if i like this person but when you actually get into discussions every single one of them has some kind of quality and they're all really likable and they're not nasty and they've got no judgments or preconceived notions against you or anything like that so it makes it really hard to pick someone to date or to be friends with i'm like (laughs) how do i do this i'm like so very surprised because usually um I'm pretty set on, oh, I'll date this person. But like, I picked one person and then I met the next person was like, oh, how? Like, what do I do now? So you just have to do multiple playthroughs and date everyone. That's how you do it. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say that that's kind of par for the course with visual novels, but like, 
Yeah. yeah, sometimes you get a bad ending if you try to date too many people at once, just like in real life. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. Um, your personality tracker at some point tells you you have an option between three people that kind of, and they match you to the three people who are closest to whatever personalities you have the highest. So you can't date more than one person, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, that's the wrong word to say, but yeah, you have to go through it. It's not long either. It's like five hours for one playthrough and then you've got like text skip and things for future playthroughs. So it'll probably be like another two or three hours for each replay, depending on whether you do different avenues. But um, yeah, it was a surprisingly good fun and I can't wait to try Bachelor number three or four. I don't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at uh, images now. It looks like there's seven dateable characters, maybe? Oh, six? No, is, is there's it... only six. On the, so the screen is split between... So when you go into your tracker, there's like five personality traits and then it's got six images, yeah, next to so, it. So can you not date Juniper then? No, she's your, um, she's your roommate. Uh, okay, that's okay. That's why. Because like, Juniper is one of the seven characters they show on the main screen here. I get it. So so it's, yes, yeah, so six dating options. That sounds like six playthroughs to me, Alana. Mm-hmm. It's six playthroughs. Weird. Yeah. Not <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that I have anything else to do. I'm just going to date fictional people because why not we said the review's not going up for a couple of weeks so you can really provide the full arcade spirits dating experience by the time it, by the time it goes uh, out into the wild <laughs> oh yeah i mean i do have an overall favorite already it's queen bee she is so adorable she's like she's a professional streamer and a professional gamer but she has lots of insecurities <laughs> and hang-ups but she could be so like loud sometimes i'm just I don't know. She just, I just, she dresses really well as well. That's really vain of me to say, but like, I loved her design and I loved her attitude. And it was when you, hey, hey, down... fa uh, fashion sense can be an appealing trait. So that, that, that doesn't make you shallow. That just makes it means you have a type. <laughs> yeah. Fashion. My type is fashion. Aesthetic attraction is a thing. So irrespective, irrespective of gender. Um, but yeah, no, it's really fun and I would recommend it. Um, so the review should be going up probably sometime in May. We have some other stuff to come up before then, but it's um, ready and waiting. And I look forward to everybody reading it and at least giving it a go because it's definitely worth it. It's one of the better visual novels I've played. I look forward to reading it too now. I'm going to have to check it out for myself because this, this sounds like it might be a little bit up my alley, especially being able to choose whether or not you want to you know actively pursue someone as a as a romantic option or just being friends with them that's, that's not something that i personally like to see yeah and uh i apologize if you went over this already alana but uh, uh i mean this is a game about an arcade are some of the arcade games in here playable to a degree uh no they're not okay no yeah, the, Im the images i'm looking at show several sort of pixelized you know 80s style arcade games and and one of the one of the main characters seems to be obsessed with the dancing game oh yeah uh, so there's a professional there's a professional D, &D player not D, &D dance dance revolution player yeah. oh man <laughs> pretty much D yeah D, D dr that's a game i need to see yeah i'm sure i'm sure if you look hard enough there is a D D D D D ddr playthrough somewhere <laughs> well that's not the only thing you've been playing lately right no so um, in my wisdom and with my backlog staring at me, I decided a few months ago, or actually late last year, um, I was inspired to dig my GameCube out of one of my drawers and put on an RPG I haven't played for a long time. It's a bit of a cult classic, and I wish more people could play it and get hold of these games. And relevant to a feature that went up a few weeks ago, we did our uh, put it on the Switch feature or games that we want to see on the Switch, and uh, I put this game and its uh, sequel slash prequel on there. Uh, so I've been playing Batankaitos Eternal Wings and the Lost Ocean recently, and 
been really having a blast with it. It's a bit of an oddball game, but I don't think either of you have played it, have you? Nope. I'm bad. <laughs> well, it's not like it, I don't think it presents itself particularly well, and I think it came out on a it came out in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and the GameCube is not exactly known for like fantastic RPGs. Like by this point, we'd already had Tales of Symphonia, we'd already had Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door, and those are like the two big ones that everybody raves about, and rightly so. Um, yeah, th- those are my one and two for th- for the on the GameCube. Yeah, not counting remakes or ports. I hope. Uh, well, okay, of course, not counting remakes, <laughs> remakes or ports or ports of legendary games. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the GameCube was not exactly the RPG powerhouse the PS2 was. No, exactly. Um, but Batman Kyle's is a really neat game. The first, I'm going to talk mostly about the first one because I haven't got around to replaying Origins, which is a prequel to this game. Um, and really, you do need to play. What the Eternal Wings before Origin. You can understand some stuff without it, but there are some really interesting links, like repeated, like reoccurring characters and things. Um, but Baton Kaios is definitely a bit weird. So it's a card based RPG and it's pretty slow. So throughout the game, you basically have to upgrade your deck. So you start off with only having three cards at a time. There are various different cards you can have in a deck. So you have healing items, you have throwable items, you have attack cards, which every character has their own deck. So Callus, who is the main character, um, has swords. And then you have Shella, who is kind of the secondary protagonist. Um, she uses magic, so she gets like six elemental magic cards all between levels one to six that's exclusive to the magic cards the level system and the higher the level the more powerful it is um but yeah basically you have to if you pick you and you've got defense cards as well but you get an attacking round and a defending round so you do have the chance if your enemy attacks to defend against them some attack cards can be used as defensive cards and some can't but it does help and you also have to match up elements so there are six elements in the game so there is fire and water which opposites of each other you've got light and dark which are opposites and you have wind and chronos which is time um they're opposites to each other and basically if someone hits you with a fire attack if you guard with water you'll get even more defense against it so every piece of defense will have like a standard base defense of like 30 but then i'll have in brackets like water defense 35 so it will do both of those so it will do the 30 defense against the physical attack and then if that character is enemy is also attacking you with a fire attack it will also repel that by 35 so if they did 70 water damage to you it would be 35 70 minus 35 which would be 35 um but it takes a while to get your head around on a first playthrough because there's quite a lot to take in um you've got finisher moves as well which you can do after you've thrown a certain number of cards um, by the end of the game, you go from having a deck of 25 or 30 to 60 or 70, and then you can use nine cards in a round by the end of the game. And sometimes the special moves you have are tied to how many cards you throw out. So three cards will get you your level one special and your level two, four will get you level three and four and so on. And your level nine special, you have to have thrown eight cards. It has to be the last card in that um it has to be the very last card you use um but it does get really complicated and getting your head around it is takes a while but once you get it it's really really satisfying because each card has also got numbers on the corners (laughs) so if you 
there's various different combinations you can do to affect your attack power or your defense power. And if you put, say you pick the card with a one and then you pick the number two in another corner, you can select the numbers by using the C stick on the controller. Um, so if you put one, two, and three, you'll get like a 10% damage bonus or a 10% resistance bonus. And if you get one to nine, which is extremely difficult to do by the end of the game, I think your attack power is basically doubled. So if you do, I don't know, two, three thousand damage, which is quite a lot because most bosses have around, the final boss I think might have in the range of about 15 to 20,000 HP. Um, maybe not. Um, maybe more than that, but it's quite a bit. Um, but you can do basically half damage to it in one go, which is hard to do, but extremely satisfying to pull off. Um, it's really nice when you do understand how the combat works because everything works together really well. Um, but I've kind of just talked about the battle system and probably scared a lot of people off because <laughs> rambled about it. But it is really interesting what it does with the COD system because... It was the first and only, it's really still the only card-based battle system I've ever played with. Um, Origins is slightly different in that you only ever have three characters. You have six in Eternal Wings and three in Origin, and you can only have three characters in at a time. Uh, Those three in Origin share a deck. So rather than having individual weapons, they have like level one, two, and three attack cards. And then if they want, they can equip a weapon either at the beginning of their turn or midway through their turn and that will change either the attacking quality or the, the elemental quality it's very different they're two very di- they play like two very different games um and it's a lot faster as well and they're both pretty challenging um there are a lot of horror stories about bosses in eternal wings and a few that i was dreading um but apparently i got quite good between the ages of about 15 and 25 so i'm kind of cruising through it a little bit but it's, <laughs> it's nice to have that um it's really it's a really deep and complex system and it's super rewarding when you do nail it because um, each character is really fun to play with um you do get two spell casters they do unfortunately use all the same magic cards so the idea is not to use them together and you kind of specialize them in different um elements so i tend to give shella water light and wind because they're all on one side basically and then i give mizuti who's the other spellcaster who is adorable she's this oh spoiler she doesn't actually reveal her gender until later on um but she Uh, she does the old ferris move she does well you can't tell because she's got a mask on and she has like a voice um a voice augmenter to uh um in her mask so you can't really tell what gender she is and she always refers to herself in third person but um yeah she specializes more in like dark fire and chronos magic um so don't put them in together because they're both a bit brittle um but if you can play around with your party really easily and there's kind of something for everybody um but it is a really rewarding system that i have a lot of fun with and picking it up today made me realize like how hard i found it as a kid and now i'm just like oh yeah this it all clicks and it's all really really good um so i would recommend it for that alone um I would maybe argue as well that Bankaios 1 and 2 might be the two of the prettiest games on the GameCube. They've got sort they're not really pre-rendered backdrops. Um they move like there are bits that move around in the wind and you can see um like characters interacting with things, but some of the designs of the areas are gorgeous. Like the cloud artwork alone is stunning. It looks like really fluffy candy floss, but it looks so real. Um 
Some of the environments are interactable as well, so you can pick up bits of cloud or water, store them, and then use them elsewhere. You need them for puzzles, side quests. You can only carry like six on you at a time, but um, yeah, it's just everything is so detailed and there's just so much to take in. So it's that and Kytos's world is basically like six or seven islands suspended in the sky. We're getting a theme here with things that I like. Um, but <laughs> it's so, they're all different. So there's Sedal Sud is um, the one, I don't know if that's the island name. I always forget the name of the first island. It's very water and wood based. So it's like there's springs, hot, warm springs everywhere. There's um, just rivers everywhere. Um, and then you've got Diadem, which is the air based island, which is full of really big, bright pink clouds. And then Anua Nue, which is all tropical forestry. Mirror is the weird one because the element is stone, but Mirror is a blast to look at because you have a village made out of sweets. You have a village made out of picture books. You've got another village made out of clay. There is a dungeon in Mirror, which is a maze which flips you. You walk in some parts of it, you walk on kind of normal and then other bits you're walking upside down and then there's a whole tower of daruga reference in the game where you wander around a dungeon and kill slimes and you break down walls and the tower of daruga music plays while you're walking through it is this also a namco game uh yes it is yeah it's an old nes game no yeah it's i think it's an old nes game uh but it's an old yeah yeah, it's an old uh uh, pc engine nes game Uh that uh that you there's always tower of daruga references in tales games so I, i but i wasn't aware that uh, Baton Kaitos was uh, Namco also. Yeah, it's um, Namco produced. It's Tricrescendo and Monolith, actually. Monolith Soft before they went oh, to right. Xenoblade. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's some good pedigree in there. And it's got some, like, you can tell where the really good environment and world design came from because that Baton Kaitos really kickstarted that and it's great. Um, and then Alphard's like the technologically advanced fire empire. There's a snow place and a place full of poison and things like that. But like, it's not, again, like it doesn't do anything particularly incredible, but like the world design is beautiful. The music is probably the only piece, good, good piece of music, like soundtracks that Sakuraba has composed between Dark Souls and Valkyrie Profile, I would say. I'm sure I'm going to get shouted at by somebody for saying that, but Batankaitos' music is really, really good because it's not all synthesizer. It's electric guitar. It's vo- There's an entire track that is just violins, which is incredible. Uh, the one track I would recommend people picking up or listening to is from Origin. It's actually the title slash final boss theme, and it's called uh, Al Principo. I can't remember the rest of it, but it's an int- it's sung by Sakuraba's daughter, and it's so oh, beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. It's really, really good. I would highly recommend both soundtracks. Um, but they do some really... They, both games do some really interesting things, Um Unfortunately, I think because of the slow pace of the first game and the really terrible quality of the voice acting, it might be infamous <laughs> for that. It's really not. It's not awful, but the problem is it sounds like people are talking into tin cans. Um, and some of the lines, particularly for Shella, are extremely flat and exaggerated. So there's lots of very terrible 80s and 90s anime screaming at certain parts. But it's a fun game. and. I'm excited to beat it again and then move on to Origins. I've played Eternal Wings maybe tw- 
I want to say three times before this and Origin only once because I found Origin incredibly difficult. But I think with the new knowledge and that I've picked up from Eternal Wings, maybe I'll go into Origin and come away and saying it's really easy. It's not, but oh, I'm sure I'll go in with a better understanding. But they both come highly recommended and I know there's some very vocal fans out there and I would love to see them on Switch as a dual pack. I think they would be perfect kind of on the go games. Yeah, it would give me an excuse to finally get off my butt and play them because I've I've been aware of how much they are loved by their fans for a while now, and I've especially about uh, Sakuraba's uh, soundtracks for them because been I, I appreciate Sakuraba. I've gotten more and more tired of him as time has gone by, <laughs> but he was at one point he was like on that list list for me of like some of my favorite um, Japanese mm-hmm. video game composers. So it really really great to hear. I mean, I, I, and I know I can do that now because the soundtracks are out, but I've always been kind of a person who's um, I like to hear in context. I don't I find I don't appreciate music as much um, if I listen to it without context because it. It means more when it happens in the context of a story than just listening to it um, without any understanding of what's going on. So uh, if they were to port them, this would be a great opportunity for me to get that context. So, Yeah, I'm in a similar position because I'm aware of how cult popular they are, and I uh, have heard great things about this Sakuraba soundtrack. Like, it might be his best soundtrack because he's not trapped in his, uh, you know, Tales Star Ocean prison. Uh, at at least, but I I mean I might be worth even in a position of more shame because I own the first one and I've never <laughs> touched it. Uh, and I don't know where my GameCube is, but I can I can still play that on the Wii that I have hooked up in my basement. So yeah, I just blame podcasting and video games. Mm, they're not sure either. They're both about fifty hours. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you really you could probably cut it down a little bit, but at the end of the game, you can do like character quests and you get their final class up and their final finisher and they're kind of needed because it's not good. You go from having like a seven combo attack to a nine combo attack and that makes all the difference in the last class up. So they're worth doing and they those side quests alone can add five to seven hours onto the game. So yeah, it's not an easy it's not a long easy ride I would say. It definitely needs a couple of months to put aside and do, but yeah, they're definitely enjoyable once you get past the some of the awkward um voice acting and I guess pre- semi predictable plot like it's 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 solid. I I I definitely love it probably more than it deserves, but I think that I feel bad for it for being forgotten because there are so many other really good games on the GameCube and good RPGs as well. But Baton Chaos has always kind of stood out to me um, as pretty unique and pretty special. And I'm sad that we did never get that third game that got canned. And I wonder if it's because Monolith went off to do their own thing and Tri-Crescendo went off to do Eternal Sonata. So another weird game that I also love probably a little bit more than I should. But oh, see, that's another <laughs> good Sakuraba soundtrack is Eternal Sonata. Yeah, definitely. That's got some... I would say a lot of that's down to Chopin because every piece of music is based off of a Chopin. Like, even the standard tracks have got inspiration from Chopin pieces, so... Yeah, but still, it's no discredit to him. Like, he does some good stuff when he's free and able to do stuff, but definitely Tales series. I know some people like uh, Exist Archive, which was like a PSV to PS4 Valkyrie profile-like game that came out a few years ago. Um, I reviewed. The soundtrack is kind of... Oh, it's overly synthy, which I think is the problem with his Tales soundtracks, is they're a bit too grindy. Yeah. But like, Valkyrie profile synth work is good. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's where he peaked, I think. Yeah, he used a lot. He used a lot of the same sound library for those uh, late '90s and early 2000s soundtracks. But like Valkyrie Profile is probably the best of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think maybe part of the problem is that he hasn't quite. When it comes to the tales, at least side uh, of things, he hasn't really progressed past that sound. Like things that I like about Terminal Sonata is that it's a lot of um, natural instruments. Yeah. Uh, in place of his usual synths, and that was kind of a breath of fresh air after so much in the synth uh, way from Tales and even Star Ocean. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't seem like he's really tr- going to do, like, change up. And, and it's not like I say he, it's it's not purely about him. It's also about what he's being asked to create for yeah. those games. So maybe we should also be, like, saying, you know, Bamco... Let the man branch out a little bit, maybe? <laughs> yeah, they put extremely tight deadlines on those soundtracks for the Tales of series, so it's a bit of both. They, they're they kind of creatively bankrupting him, I think. So either let him have a bit more freedom. I mean, Goshina has now gone independent, so he might be a little bit harder to do. I mean, he'd probably still come back and do it, but one. Um, but like his music far outclasses um, Sakuraba's contributions to most of the series. I mean, Legendia, Legendia, Legendia and uh, his contributions in Zestiria are like ridiculously good. And you can tell the quality difference in them, which is a shame because Sakuraba does do good stuff. It's just the tales in Star Ocean are a bit restrictive, I think. Yeah, I guess... <sighs> They should really maybe kind of think about doing the Final Fantasy route where they, you know, it seemed at one point that, you know, it wouldn't be, you would never have a Final Fantasy mainline game without Uematsu. And now, you know, here we are. Um, uh, well, what, after, after, fi- after 15 years of Final Fantasy soundtracks, he got a little burned out. And uh, but, but I think it's been to the benefit of all for him to take a step back. For sure. Yeah. Right. And I think that Square is to be also rec- recognized for their willingness to let him back out and to bring in other people to do the soundtracks. Because we've had we've gotten actually a lot of great Final Fantasy music. I mean, 12, we had Sakimoto, we've had uh, Hamauzu in 13, we've had <sighs> Yo- uh, Shimomura in 15, and of course... My man, Soken in 14, so... Yeah, it's so hard to pick a post 10. Well, even 10, like, it was mostly um, Hamautsu and... uh, Oh, God, Junior Nataka, I think its name is. Um, Yeah. And I prefer all of their stuff to Hamautsu's, which might be a bit of a crime, but... Like, going through a list of what each of them had composed, I was like, no, I like this one. Most of it was Hamautsu, because 13th soundtrack is incredible. Like, I can't believe how good it is. I love it. Um... Hamatsu's great. His work on he did the Saga game, Unlimited Saga, which I hate, but the soundtrack is incredible. <laughs> I hate the game, but the soundtrack is so special. Yeah, it's it, it's in that special Hall of Fame of uh, not great RPGs with great music like Blue Reflection. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, maybe we'll get a different one for this uh, Tales game that we still haven't heard anything about. It always goes to Tales when I'm around, which I don't mind. <laughs> Heads or tails? Which which one do you prefer? <laughs> uh, you were on uh, five straight episodes of Tales Celebration with me earlier this year. I was, yeah. I am. I I have a brand. Put it that way. And you're right. It is overdue that we've uh, heard about the since we've heard about the new Tales game because they mentioned that 
like it was being made last year and we expected an announcement this year and we're here we are four months in right yeah the tales festival's in june so i think we'll hear about it then when uh, the okay. mobile game eventually yeah. comes out oh yes that um crystoria was that the one was that okay so that was announced before we got the details about east nine right I think so. Yeah, East Nine was like September, mm-hmm. October, wasn't it? Yeah, they they announced the title and gave us like a teaser image in the uh, near the end of it, 2018, and then in 2019, every month or so they give us a new image, and we've had a couple uh, a couple gameplay videos by now too. Because mm-hmm. they're they're both, if I remember what they've told us about Crystoria, both games, at least from what we can tell, you are either criminals or you've you've done something wrong or you have a sin or something like that. They're both kind of going for that. We're bad guys or we're 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 bad boys now or something like that kind of vibe. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit following off of uh, Tales of Vesperia too, where all all six main characters in Tales of Vesperia are exiles or outcasts or uh, or prisoners. But in I think in in Crestoria, it's like you're falsely accused of something. But then the, the like the scarlet letter or the mark of sin that you get gives you additional powers, and in East Monstrum Nox, it looks like it all takes place in a Bastille city like setting, like and uh, where 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 Adal is imprisoned for something and uh, gains some kind of monster power in the prison. So yeah, for, I, I guess what we're trying what I'm trying to say is Japan thinks that crime gives you powers. <laughs> And we had Persona Five recently. Mm-hmm. Yep. So crime gives you powers. I see. I see no examples to the contrary. That's kind of an interesting trend, and uh, this would be kind of a good transition into our our news segment. So let me just really fast, briefly talk about what I've been playing. It's nothing new or exciting. Um, I've been actually working on a long overdue backlog on my part. I started back in late February or early March. I started a Trails series replay um, because we, of course, got the news that Nisa is bringing Trails of Cold Steel 3 over this fall. And I said to myself, you know, I've owned uh, the Sky Games or I've owned some of the Sky Games on PC for a while and haven't touch them and i love cold steel one and two and i really ought to go back and play the trails in the sky series and everything and whatnot so that i can you know have finally had that experience and i figured as long as i am reasonably uh dedicated to doing it i can get through all of them and replay cold steel one and two before three comes out so that's (laughs) what i've been doing and i am I finished FC and I am um, over halfway through SC at this point. And it's been a, oh my gosh. Who, anyone who has ever listened to me talk about Trails when I've said I haven't played the Sky Games and it is like saying, I'm telling you, play those games. You now have official permission to say, I told you so because I freaking love these games. They are. I told you so, Caitlin. Thank you. <laughs> they are so good. I. I cannot believe I've waited this long to experience them, and I'm I I'm like on the edge of my seat with SC in particular. Like, oh holy crap! Things I'm right before the one of those sort of series uh, fa- favorite moments that you can probably guess what's about to happen if I say yep. that the gang is about to go for a little mini vacation on the lake. Mm, okay, yeah. You, it either had to be the the beach or the field. Yep. It's it's coming up on the beach, so you know yep, what I'm talking it. about. So I'm 
I'm on pins and needles about that. And um, I played Cold Steel 1 and 2 having not played any of the other games in the series. I had tried, I had way back when started up FC and because of how uh, slow FC is to get going, I got bored with it and or distracted rather by other games. So I let it fall to the side, but I loved Cold Steel 1 and 2 and was aware enough about what happens in the other games that I didn't, you know, I, I love the series. I wasn't afraid to say I love the series, even though I haven't played um, most of the games in the series. Playing through FC and now SC has just like skyrocketed my affection for this series. I love it so much. And I am looking forward to playing, going back to Cold Steel 1 and 2, having more context from the Sky games and whatnot. I, I'm interested to see. I'm sure there are some references that I was aware of as being references to Sky, but didn't really have much of a... Um, an emotional connection to them because I hadn't experienced them myself. So now going back when I get to the Erebonia arc, I expect to have a lot of like, oh, and holy shit, and ah, moments. So <laughs> the real thing is, is uh, after you finish this Trails replay, you got to go back further and play the Gargov trilogy. Do I? Do I have to? I've heard bad things about those <laughs> games. I really recommend you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I uh, I uh, I only played one of them, but I, and I really didn't like it. But uh, I, I was telling a just a poorly executed joke there. But yeah, um, I love Trails in the Sky one and two. I haven't played the third one yet. I have. I also have barely touched the Cold Steel games. But I I really like those first two Trails in the Sky games, especially how much Estelle grows, because uh, I'm. I think she's a bit of an irritatingly spunky character in the first game and all the growth yeah. she goes through over the first two. Uh, by the end of the second game, I just absolutely adore her. It's a, it's, it's a really good one-two punch. And I, I should play the third one, but uh, it's not on Vita. It's PC only in the United States. And uh, that was a bit of a turnoff. And there's also just... It only came out a couple of years ago in English officially. And I was just... I was too busy playing, I don't know, probably Persona 5 at the time. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Uh, well, actually, okay, thank you, because that is now the perfect transition. I don't, I could go on about Trails, but I think I'll wait to say more until I've finished uh, my playthrough of the trilogy. So with that mention of P5, uh, let's start talking about some of the news that's come out um, the last week or two. And of course, since we're talking about P5, we just had the Joker DLC drop for Smash Ultimate on Switch. Which I'm not playing because I don't like Smash. Don't crucify me, please. I just, <laughs> it's not my cup of tea. But I'm pretty sure one or both of you guys are playing, right? Um, I own Smash. I'm also not really a Smash person. I, uh, I love arcade style fighting games, but uh, to give you context, the, the last Smash game I bought before Ultimate was Melee for the GameCube. Smash Ultimate is good. It's uh, it as a it gives you a wealth of single player content. The cast is the biggest it's been, and it it plays very very nicely. I like this Smash game a lot, so I can't call myself a, I can't be accused of being a Smash hater like I have been in the past maybe. But uh, this DLC, uh, it I think like it overloaded or crashed um, Nintendo's servers. Everyone trying to download it at the same time <laughs> while they were yeah. While they were, while, while they were also doing a system update at the same time. So it was just a, that was a mess. But uh, once you have Joker in the game, uh, he's pretty fun to play as. He's, a, he's 
very agile. He has a little grappling hook for his uh, for his third jump, and he has a little meter that fills up and allows him to summon Arsene, his uh, main persona in Persona Five, and which uh, sort of adds um, new properties and and more power to each of his moves when Arsene is summoned and and turns his grappling hook into a very floaty uh, large jump. And uh, his um, and his ultimate attack is a um, is a all out, is uh, the very stylish Persona Five all out attack that ends up with that ends with the uh, the show's overseen. It's um, so uh, good. It's yes. so satisfying. What's well, a really neat thing with that <laughs> is when if you um, if you win a battle with an all out attack, so if it's like a stock battle and it's their last life. There's two different victory scenes you get. So if you win a battle normally, it does the Joker running across the screen or Morgana yep. can be the car and it, it will go through that. But if you win with the all-out attack, it will just go to the victory screen. No running, no nothing. No, that's it. It just goes straight to it like it would in Persona 5. So it's really imbued the Persona spirit into the game. Um, also, because oh, I, yeah. I had a little bit of a play around with him. Yes, the uh, like the day before we recorded, um, he is really fun and really light and fast. Um, he's not got enough... I don't want to say ranged because I don't like ranged characters, but like his, his he uses a knife, so he's not like Moth who uses a sword. So I can't like stand. No, just he, as far it's, away it's, it's not. It's not really a sword boy or a heavy boy or a shooty boy. Which he's is a good. he's a he, he's a fast boy. I, th- I think he's a oh what would I who would I compare him to like uh, maybe a Diddy or a Fox? Yeah, with... maybe Lucas because he does have a few yeah. Lucas and Ness, so he does have a few long ranged attacks, which I like. He's, he's he's quicker than Lucas though. He's, yes. he's a speed character. Definitely, but he is quite fun to play as, and I think that he he will fit in nicely. And it was you know every single video on the online sharing is literally Joker at the moment, so you won't have any um you won't get tired of him very soon i don't think well you'll have to put up with him for a while yeah oh i, I bet there's a lot of joker versus joker mirror matches online i i guarantee it <laughs> yep there are another cool thing for joker is obviously we've got a bundle we've got 11 persona tracks um four from th- i think it is uh i think it's four or five from five three from four and three from three um i don't know if i'm right um each game has got a rearranged version of a track so caitlin nicely found out that the rearranged version of beneath your mask is by ace the xenoblade chronicles um, oh composers. nice yes yeah it's a good one as that well that kind of blew my mind yeah and um and the stage they added to the game along with joker is mementos the which is a sort of recurring area in persona 5 that i don't want to explain right now <laughs> and uh and the color and tone and music of mementos will change as you play through the stage or you can customize it uh within the stage and like ambient colors will turn blue when persona 3 music is playing and, f- and yellow when persona 4 music is playing it's a really impressive overall package yeah not, not just you don't it's not just a character yeah those victory the victory music also changes depending on um what music you're playing so if you beat if you're playing i don't know reach out to the truth um the victory zaps instead of being red will be yellow and if the victory screen if you're listening to mass destruction which of course is right up to the most listenable track in the game for me um right now is uh, it will be blue so they even changed that which is really neat but yeah it's a it's just a massive love letter and i don't know whether we'll know by the time the episode goes up but we'll have we should have some persona 5 royal news coming up next week which will probably be hot topic of discussion on the next episode of um, random encounter so yes i mean looking forward to that yeah yes, i think we're all looking forward to just maybe a switch announcement or or, mm. or an enhanced port of some sort announcement well we, we know we know about persona 5 the royal but and we know about that one character from it but that was a 
that was a few weeks ago, and I think we are due for more details on that soon. Um, but I think there was a PS4 logo with that Royal announcement, so we know it's at least coming to PS4. But beyond that and what the new character looks like, we know very little. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all looking forward to uh, to what that news might be, and it will definitely be a point of discussion um, on the next episode of Random Encounter. Um, so that's not the only kind of new news we had. Uh, did we... I, I don't play these games, so my... Awareness is just that it exists, but Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, did we get a release date for that? We did. Yes. Yep, it is coming out on the first week of July. Wait, uh, no. Um, The 19th, I believe. Um, It's a week before Fire Emblem. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Right, okay, I was, get, I was getting it confused with the release date for the Why Steam Why is everything of, uh, coming out in July? Right, it's a week <laughs> after Dragon Quest Builders 2 and a week before Fire yeah, Emblem geez. Three Houses. Like, July is ridiculous. And Shadowbringers is also the official release date oh, anyway. Jeez, yeah. Right at the beginning of July. Yeah, by then I don't know if I'll be able to finish uh, Persona Q2 in time, because that's the second week of June. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is a loaded summer. Too many video games. Too many video games. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great problem to have, but... My free time. I'm watching it fly away. But ma- but just as important as the release date, we got the cover art for uh, Mar- Mar- uh, Ultimate Alliance 3. And it looks dope. It looks like it could it's be a, it, the cover art for, like, another Avengers film. Yeah, it, <laughs> okay. I, this... Yeah, it's... Uh, it, you can tell it's really, really uh, inspired by the recent Marvel Cinematic Universe because it has almost the full cast of the a recent Avengers movie plus a, co- a couple of X-Men because oh, yeah. I don't think you, uh, people get, as we know from um, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, players get mad if you don't add any X-Men to a Marvel game. <laughs> X-Men are important, though. Yeah, and, uh, like, it is impossible for me to imagine uh, MVC 2 or 3, which are games that I like okay but love watching uh, at Evo. It's, it's difficult to imagine one of those games without Wolverine or Storm. Right. Uh, or, or Magneto. Those are, like, three of the signature characters. And, um... So people were mad as hell where there were when there were no X Men at all in Infinite two years ago. But uh, this, they're at least rectifying that a little bit. Uh, Wolverine is front and center in uh, MUA three, and uh, I'm pretty excited about this game because when we had those run of uh, oh shoot, I don't remember who. Um, I know they're all published by Activision, but uh, the the first two and the second two were developed by different groups. I think I think Ravensoft did one of them, but. Uh, the two X-Men Legends games and the two first two Ultimate Alliance games, I really, really loved. They were uh, isometric, loot-heavy games that were kind of like four-player Diablo a little bit, um, with a, with a heavy uh, Marvel themes. The, the first one was basically a Magneto Sentinel story, and the second one was an Apocalypse Four Horsemen story, and then uh, uh, MUA-1 was a, a big Doctor Doom story and MUA2 was was similar to the Civil War arc going on in the comics at that time but they're really really fun multiplayer RPGs mm-hmm. and uh and I played through 3 out of those 4 with basically the same group of people plus or minus one that was unavailable at the time so I uh I, and I I think I might get this game just to try and play it with the same group <laughs> that I played the other games with uh 10 years ago so is it is it just is it online co-op only or is there like couch co-op as well I don't know. Um, we don't have a. I don't know how much how many details we have on this. We we they've we have uh, names and dates and screen and uh, maybe some screenshots, but I I should have done more research ahead of time. They it's definitely multiplayer, but I don't know if it's online or not. The first three were I'm sorry. The first four were uh, all couch co-op, 
Yeah, I really think they'd be silly to get rid of that. And I think the Switch as well, because it's a Switch exclusive. There's a few couch co-op games on that system already, and I think it's something Nintendo and the developers are probably aware of. So I think they want to capitalize on that. And I think this is like the perfect game to do it. I'm like you, but I've only played the first, I only played the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance, uh, but I played the whole thing through with my older brother. So like we had a blast with it. And I think there would be a tiny bit silly to get rid of that feature. Because if you've both got a Switch and you've both got the game, then you can do it in the same room. Like you can, you know, use whatever the, what, not Wi-Fi. My internet language has gone. <laughs> Local co-op. That will do. Yeah, local local co-op or, or near field uh, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah just just lo- local co-op, especially since since all controllers are wire are wireless and have you know sm- like smarter stuff in them than a PS2 controller. Yeah, but you can also play on your own screen, <laughs> like having yes. just undocked. If you've both got the game and both have a Switch. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you've got that, and then you've also got the idea of you all sitting together with a Joy-Con each, which would be cool. But yeah, like. It's, you know, Marvel is the biggest it's ever been, and this is the perfect time, because it will be a few months after Endgame, and I, f- I think it's coming out after or around the time the Spider-Man film's coming out, home, um, Far From mm-hmm. Home, so, like, you want to capitalise on Marvel, like, this is the perfect time to do it, and you want to do it with your friends and everything, then, yeah, like, I'm I'm really stoked for it. It was a game I didn't know I wanted, and it's coming, and I want it, and I wish it wasn't June. July even. Yeah, I really want it to. I don't, uh, the thing is I'll have to wait. I might wait and get it for a time. I know that me and my friends will all be free, <laughs> but, uh, uh, one of them's a teacher and definitely will want to play it during the summer. And the other one travels all the time during the summer and definitely will want to play it in the winter. So I don't know how I'm going to, how I'm going to work this out exactly, but I am very excited to play it. It looks like it's a, um, Thanos is the main villain and it has uh, several of his disciples as as major villains as well with the, some of the people that they uh that the main characters fought during um Infinity War. So again very tied to the current Marvel Cinematic Universe which is also one of the biggest uh movie phenomena in history so I'm sure there will be a lot of interest in this game. It's, it's they're not just trying to bring back old fans of X-Men Legends 2 like me that that was my favorite of those, of those old four. So, yeah, I, I... Oh, man, I hope this game is good. I'm really excited. Mm. Yeah, it looks cool. And, you know, perfect timing, too. Because uh, I checked. Uh, Far From Home comes out July 5th. Okay, so what? It's just it's two weeks after that. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> Jeez, we'll know a lot by that point. What if, they, what if they're, like, the only people other than the cast and the directors that know what happened in Endgame? Oh. Now I'm stressed. I mean, actually... By the time this goes up, a few people probably will know what it goes on in Endgame because it's out next week. Yeah, recording, and I'm stressed now. So I've just I still have to buy tickets. I've been bad. <sighs> I'll go when it's a bit quieter. I'll see it eventually. I'm not. I'm not worried. It'll. It'll. It'll still be out when I want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> but I. I rarely see movies opening weekend. Uh, unlike uh, the probably the only movie I'm going to see opening weekend in the next six months is John Wick 2. I John knew yes. I, you were going to say that. Me too. Yeah, I am, I, I am obsessed with the first two John Wick movies. I mean, it, I, I love stylish, violent action films, and those like were basically made in a lab just to, like, like, just to appeal to me, so I cannot wait for John Wick 3. <laughs> Keanu Reeves and dogs and assassins and lore. And Halle Berry. Yeah. And, and somehow... For some reason, they made my favorite podcaster an assassin in that movie. Uh, J- yeah, Jason Manzu- yeah, yeah, Jason Manzukas of How Did This Get Made is an assassin in John Wick Three, and I and I cannot believe that. So I'm like, how are they going to make 
the very cuddly Manzukas <laughs> seem dangerous. Yeah, we got John Wick three, and then the week after we uh, have Detective Pikachu. Ooh, <laughs> like, oh man, also look amazing. The best. Okay, God, the next four weeks of of movies are apparently my favorite four weeks of movies in decades. All right, it's great. the perfect storm. It's assassins and Pokemon. Technically, if you consider Rocket Raccoon has Pokemon, so <laughs> sure that'll do. Groot and Rocket Raccoon count. <laughs> Pseudo Wudo and uh of, Oh yes, Groot, because all Groot says is Groot and Pokemon mm-hmm. just say like their name or one word or something no, like no, that. No 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 so 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 Rocket Raccoon is Meowth because he's because uh, he has human speech and Groot uh, is a pseudo Wudo. Oh fair enough. Okay. And then there's Ryan Reynolds as well. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Pikachu. Look at all this. Look at all this mapping we're doing. Yes. It's all connected. Ryan Reynolds even has his own Marvel superhero that he performs as. Exactly. Mm. Who is an assassin. <laughs> God. They're all the same movie. It's, it's a shared universe. Pokemon, Marvel, John Wick. Oh, boy. I, I love it. That. Here we are on Random Encounter. We're just, like, finding and explaining and debunking the mysteries of the universe. Because we've just connected several different films and franchises for you. It's all the same universe, guys. John Wick against... Thanos and all his bad guys and all the Pokemon. I'm in. Like, yeah. yeah. He could do it. And J- J- John Wick's dog. Are we sure it's not a Growlithe? Are we sure? Oh, yeah. True. Oh, Dogs. Okay. Alright. Not, not, I'm not thinking about that first movie. Not thinking about it at all. Moving on. Very briefly, I want to end on the, the other big piece of news. So, very briefly, of course, we all uh, have been beside ourselves um, watching or hearing about the news about the horrible fire that happened um, on the roof of the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in Paris. And in a, well, maybe depending on how you think about the company, in a surprise move, uh, Ubisoft have, uh, they've done two things. They have, I suppose they've donated the game or whatnot, or they, they've offered for people to use Assassin's Creed Unity uh, to aid in the reconstruction efforts of Notre Dame. The Assassin's Creed games, Ubisoft puts a lot of money into recreating landmarks uh, for it to, you know, to be elements within those games. So they have just a lot of data of Notre Dame Cathedral because they spent like weeks or months or something scanning the exterior and interior of it so they could recreate it perfectly within the game. And they're what they're doing is they're offering that data to the people building it again so they can reconstruct it as uh, ah. accurately as they can because because they might have they might have the best available source of <laughs> of, of Notre of Notre Dame's in, like interior geometry. Okay, uh, I got I got my my details a little mixed there. Sorry. Yeah, it, no, no, it's, it's all good. I, I apologize for uh, maybe over-explaining. And then the second piece of news is that uh, we're all getting uh, Assassin's Creed Unity for free if we want it. On PC only, though, right? Because it's via, it's through Uplay, so it's... I think so, yeah. Website. Oh, it's through Uplay. Okay, that's why people are mad, because Uplay sucks. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've already free. tried, and their website was so buggy that I couldn't actually check out. Possibly because they were getting slammed by people, maybe, but... Yeah. Probably. I, well, I mean, I, I sort of get it. Uplay is usually unwanted. It, it, uh, when I played Child of Light on PC for the pod, for Retro Encounter a few years ago, Uplay made, made it crash twice. Mm, and that game, that game is only like eight hours. It's not exactly demanding either at no. any time of specs or anything. But still, it's a really nice thing that they're doing, and I, I uh, certainly hope that it's helpful. Um, 
I mean, we, we've heard that, you know, most, if not all of the artifacts that were inside the cathedral are okay. They're safe. Uh, I have heard that the, uh, the famous, uh, at least the rose windows, the gigantic stained glass windows, um, for the time being appear to have be okay. Although they're going to have to do some, some, uh, probably emergency work to make sure that they don't fall out of their housings. Um, it sounds like it could have been a lot worse than it was, even though it was, of course, a, still a horrible fire. The spire is gone. The roof collapsed in one portion. So, I mean, I don't... Uh, Ubisoft is not like my like my public enemy number one as far as, like, developers are concerned. I know that they have very, you know, mixed reactions from, uh, you know, the commu- from the gaming community, depending on how much you like their style of open world games. But I think it's a, this is a good thing that they're doing to try and help in what way they can. And Unity got panned by a lot of people. So I guess it's nice that we get to play it for free. It's the buggy, it was the buggy one where you could walk through roofs. Unity is... is uh like famously one of the bad ones if uh you know just by going by popular consensus yeah just, but it also just happens to be the one set in paris with notre dame as part of the as part of the story so if you have a pc and you are curious or want to do like a you know how bad is it playthrough check that out and then finally uh we got some sort of i guess ex- unexpectedly early details about the playstation 5 so we have some information about what it's going to, what kind of internals it's going to have. Um, so, for instance, we know that it's going to have uh, a uh, AMD Zen 2 uh, 8-core CPU. Uh, the GPU is also going to be AMD-based, so the Navi uh, GPUs. Um, it's supposed to support ray tracing, which is a thing that kind of started for uh, more recently you probably heard about it coming from the latest series cards from nvidia they also of course uh, are sort of backwards compatibility style uh, adding support for that into the, the the 10 series cards um so that's kind of interesting to see what that might give the playstation 5 in terms of its uh its its power its rendering power um, and then also, uh, this is maybe a little, I, I get mixed signals from this from various different sources, but it's going to have an SSD. Um, at one point, I think I read that they were saying, uh, Mark Kearney was saying that it was going to be the fastest SSD, which <laughs> seems a little strange considering we already have super fast SSDs, you know out there so is it going to be faster than that or is it just going to be on the same level that we currently have and they're just saying fastest because it's certainly going to be faster than what the ps4 is running (laughs) yeah they they weren't specific enough uh with the with the power of the system but they made it abundantly clear that it's uh it, it on how much more powerful the cpu is uh versus the ps4 and they really really wanted to like minimize or eliminate load times because I, I think they hear people loud and clear, clear that load times have become and uh, and you know like uh, load times have been a problem in this generation because games are like you know in terms of just how much space they take up bigger than they have ever been in history and uh, download times and load times are pretty heinous for uh, even some very recent games so I think that's one thing they're trying to sell with this announcement oh we're gonna have uh, you know, games that look better than the current generation and run faster than the current generation. Oh, and speaking of games, they did announce that it will be backwards compatible with PS4 games. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And that's really the biggest takeaway for me. But yeah, yeah. I think I think that will hopefully uh, appeal to a lot of people who were disappointed that the PS4 didn't offer any backwards compatibility, even after Microsoft has been doing their own backwards compatibility thing with Xbox One, which has been, I think, pretty well received. So, and I mean, I'm personally relieved to know that some of the uh, like game of the generation sort of games that I have on PS4 uh, that I won't have to keep my PS4 around to play them. And I imagine they haven't said anything about this, but I would imagine that any PS4 games you play on this system will probably take advantage of like, if they had PS4 Pro enhancements, they will probably at least have that and maybe even better performance. We'll have to see what Sony says on that matter once we have more details. But I I would be surprised if the games don't run better or smoother on a more powerful system like PS5. Um, and, and also, I mean, if you, have, if you have a large digital library already, being able to have, to maybe reload all of your existing digital library onto the PS5 yeah. would, would be yeah. awesome. I mean, you, you'll have, I mean, of course, depending on how much you've, you've bought, but potentially dozens of uh, games to play at launch <laughs> and hopefully the hard drive is larger please sony <laughs> like it, it, it i would be, be wouldn't it because I, I would be shocked i would be shocked if it was less than a terabyte yeah it would have to be i really yeah. i really want it to be two terabytes i have a i have you know the ps4 pro has a terabyte hard drive and i'm i'm running out of space on that thing my i have one with a i think just 500 gigs but i I invested in a uh, um, two terabyte external very quickly Yay. because I uh, because again just games this generation take up enormous amounts of space. Almost every disc game has a sizable install as well. I, I think like famously wasn't the install for the Royal Edition of FF15 over a hundred gigs, something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. at least eighty. Which Red Dead Redemption was over a hundred gigs too. That's it. Or two yeah. was mm. yeah. Red Dead Redemption two was over a hundred gigs. <laughs> The first, the first Red Dead Redemption somehow is still only on PS3 and 360 and has no PC or no remastered version. It's a little crazy to me. <laughs> mm, that's that seems odd. What's going on there? I know. Rockstar? I, I always thought that was odd. I, I, I think it's because um, Red Dead Redemption One had a very troubled development history, and it, by the end was probably being held together with gumdrops and toothpicks. So there, there, there could be technological limitations to porting that game. But I've always thought it was weird how this game that was very successful and critically acclaimed didn't get any future ports. But hey, maybe it'll be on PS5 now. Maybe. Although I've heard some rumors about what Rockstar is working on next. And I mean, well, this wouldn't, I mean, even if they did a port for this game, it would not be their main project anyway. But I don't know if they'll have time for it with what I've heard. Um, which, of course, you can probably guess if it's not Red Dead Redemption, what else would it be? Bully 2. Oh, now, <laughs> damn it. Now I'm disappointed. More table tennis. Uh, <laughs> Bully was such a great game. You know, it was a good game, and I, I, it has a really interesting soundtrack with all of like the jazz percussion that is yeah. that pervades it. Um, but I, I think they probably shouldn't have called it Bully, because that, that gave it so, some negative attention. Because mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't do a lot of bullying for a game called Bully. You're just sort of an outcast kid in, in a prestigious private school, which, which has you know, some effed up politics in it. So they shouldn't have called it Bully, but Bully's a great game. Um, and of course, these are all the PS5 details. They're very early. We're not at all expecting to see this until next year at the earliest. Um, it's not going to be like revealed anytime soon. And I think... 
Mike, what was what was your theory about why, you know, with with Sony not being at E3, so there's no E3 presentation right. and this is this has everything this all, all sounds like this is very early details. We're not expecting a surprise like, "Hey, it's coming out this this holiday season" kind of thing. Why do you think what you had an idea about why they just revealed details about this system so early? Right. Well, um my my first thing that made it suspicious that this was a wired ex- exclusive, uh, and normally for something like early specs on the PS5, you would expect Sony to reach out to all of the biggest gaming outlets and have them report on it simultaneously. But instead, this was a wired exclusive, and then all the other outlets reported on the wired exclusive. So that made me think that probably someone at Wired uh, received a leak a leak from a ver- from a viable source about about some of this PS3 uh, sorry PS5 information. And then Wired reached out to Sony and said, "Hey, we have this and this and this information. Uh, do you want to confirm this and maybe uh, and maybe give us an interview, or do you want this, us to just leak this uh, and 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 give it as an unconfirmed source?" And my so my theory is that happened, and then Sony decided that giving Wired an exclusive was better than the bad press a uh, a, a leaked details about the PS5 would be. So yeah, uh, Wired got a short uh, interview with Mark Cerny, or Kearney, I'm I'm really not sure how you're supposed to say that. I'm not either. uh, Apologies, Mark, if I butchered your name before, by the way. (laughs) I'm sure he's a listener, so I'm also sure he appreciates the apology. Yeah, so I think this was probably a leak that Wired reached out to Sony about, and the result was this interview with some basic technological uh, specification information. Which I guess, you know... It's probably the smartest move for them to do to control the information and not have the, you know, if, if the op- if the alternative was that it gets put out there as a rumor and then they are perceived by, you know, if they say nothing and they keep saying nothing, that just, you know, could lead to, like you said, bad press. So probably best that they uh, took charge of it. And I mean... We all knew it was in development, but it's nice to actually have an idea of what the specs will be. And it sounds like, you know, uh, the my understanding is that the both the CPU and the GPU aren't actually available yet. They're coming out later this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so we don't know what they're capable of, but the fact that, you know, they're going to be brand sort of brand new uh, releases um, is a little exciting. And what we... Can glean based on those specs and the what they're saying about the SSD uh, being the standard hard drive. Sounds like this could be a really nice system, depending on like what things are clocked at and and stuff like that. So I'm I'm optimistic. Obviously, this is not going to be a thing until next year, and I would I would assume next fall at the earliest like fall 2020 or holiday season 2020 is when they tend to release consoles so yeah i think holiday 2020 is a very reasonable guess for the ps5 so exciting and i'm looking forward to seeing what kind of rpgs we can get on a system like that so release dragon quest 11 again and i will buy it again (laughs) well they won't have to release it again because it's a ps4 game and soon to be a switch game and they still might release it again <laughs> i'm not, not going to i'm not going to totally close game the of the that. year edition maybe oh, although yeah, all the switch updates so it'll be that'll be the switch updates they won't add it as a patch to the ps4 version they'll add all the switch stuff to the ps5 version yeah mm. and you'd buy it again yep 
Especially if they make uh, Sandy the Golden Retriever a playable character. Oh, I would buy it again <laughs> as well. Yeah. Sandy's the real MVP of Dragon Quest can 11. You pet, can you pet Sandy? You, you can. can. You can... Um, you can pet any large dog in the game, and for small dogs and cats, you sort of kneel on the ground and sort of, like, wave your hand and play with Aww. them. It was definitely not the first thing I did at E3 last year when I saw a dog. Definitely <laughs> not. Definitely. <laughs> when I played the demo at E3 last year, I spent, I spent more than half the time just looking at the skill trees. Just... <laughs> yeah. but that's, that's pretty on brand for me, I guess. Uh, so that's... That's about it for us for news. That's some of the big ticket items, of course. It's not all of the news, but um, we just wanted to talk about a few things. So we're kind of getting to the end of the show here, but we have a listener question that uh, we'll talk about for a bit before we wrap things up. Um, so one of our uh, listeners, readers on our Discord, and forgive me if I mispronounce this, um, Sai Anid or Anid, um, Ask. I always figured it. Was, I figured it was always figured it was cyanide. Cyanide. Yeah. Like okay. So you, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now that I'm looking at it again, that yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, dude. I was having a dumb moment there. The capital A kind of threw me. So <laughs> anyway. What weird capitalizations on the internet? Never. Never. Anyway, so they asked us about classics so the question is kind of like this we talk about classics and a lot of times when we talk about classic games you think about older games so you know classic like i don't know final fantasy 6 chrono trigger games that are you know several generations and possibly you know multiple decades uh, away but what about what do we think are some more modern classics games that are more recent that sort of i guess achieved a uh, a really vaunted or vaulted uh, classic status relatively like either maybe even as fast as when they came out or you know relatively shortly they're they're still relatively recent games but they've kind of reached that level that they 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 belong in the halls that, of like video game greatdom already or, or or maybe games that twenty years from now will be considered the classics of of this current generation yeah yeah either either way you want to look at that question. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and just get my very first gut reaction, which will maybe surprise nobody who's heard me gush about this game, was Horizon. Mm -hmm. Because it's kind of a complete package game that surprised me utterly with regards to how good it was in almost every area, especially for being a brand new IP for a, from a developer that never done that before. And I know that it has been influential for other developers in terms of like the graphics engine. And it's been uh, a source for a lot of gamers of like, holy crap, this game was, I can't wait for more. So that's one of my sort of first picks is just out there. You guys know I love Horizon and I do think it's sort of, you know, very easily fit into that sort of that status of this is a really great game. I, <laughs> I always think it's sort of funny looking at Guerrilla Games's uh, uh, pedigree a little bit, because Horizon has so much beautiful color and vibrancy in it compared to the Killzone games, which are very gray and yeah. brown. So, uh, so I'm, almost, I'm almost like, oh, we get finally get to make a game that isn't all gray and brown. We're gonna, just going to go totally in the other direction. Just put as much color and beauty as we can into this open world. And I mean, if you didn't already suspect that they were working on a sequel, we did have... It's unconfirmed, but we had a rumor from one of the voice actresses. I think it was a... I think it was an actress. I think it was a woman um, who was who worked on the original game. I believe she did voice acting for was it 
It might have been for the Frozen Wilds DLC, but I don't have these new story right in front of me. Um, she's mentioned a sequel and in such a way that she has special details that she can't tell us about yet, obviously, for obvious reasons. So there's, there's, a, there's it unconfirmed, like I said, we won't, we don't know for sure until Guerrilla Games or Sony say something, but we've got more on the horizon. I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, the story I read was that Janina Gavankar, who does some games journalism and some voice acting, uh, was talking to... I forget if there was someone from Sony or someone from Guerrilla Games talking about, oh, th- uh, like, like just in ca- very casually saying how much she loved Horizon, and then, and then the person responded, well, you'll love Horizon too. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, something... It was, it was very casual, and then she reported on it because she was just, she was just an excited uh, fan of Horizon who probably shouldn't have gone on Twitter about it. But but yeah, it's in the rumor stage right now, but it, but I th- I would be shocked. I mean, Horizon was popular both critically and commercially. A, a sequel would be make me the opposite of shocked. So that's one of my picks. I have I have a few more in mind, but I don't want to be selfish. So what about you guys? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Um a couple I a few of them have come up on the episode already, so they're within the last 5 to 10 years, but when I thought about it, and this might be a bit of a long shot because it's a bit odd, but it was massively acclaimed. Uh, Near Automata, I think, may well be considered a bit of an outsider for like a classic, but I think given the amount of attention it got when it came out and how much it's put Platinum and Yoko Taro on the map alone... I think it's really propelled it beyond the, oh, this is a sequel to a cult classic that wasn't actually that great, but the sequel is here and, you know, nobody expected it to be as good as it was. And it was a lot better than a lot of people expected. And more, you know, it's introduced people to this whole weird world of Yoko Taro and Nier and Drakengard, uh, which <laughs> are not anywhere near the caliber, unfortunately. Um, but... I think in here, in terms of story, character alone, I think makes it stand out as one of the better, best JRPGs in recent memory. Um, but outside of that, like, I just think that, and the music as well, the music will stand the test of time alone, I think. But I think that it's maybe a bit outside. But my gut was near Automata because of the people who talk about it still and go, oh my god, I still think about this bit and I still think about the story and I still think about how much I cried when this happened and I still, you know, it's still held up as a really high example of Japanese RPG storytelling in terms of, well, everything. Like, it's not tropey, it's not reliant on anything that we've seen before. It's very dark but very funny and very tongue-in-cheek and... I think it just about does everything right, and I think that people will look back and go, oh, hey, you know, Nier Automata was really incredible for the time, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I really loved it, and even with the few issues I had with it, but I think that it's definitely worth be throwing into the pile, I would say. No, I agree. I certainly agree. All right, well, uh, one of the first games I thought of when I um, saw this question presented to the panel was uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Yes, that was one that on, was on my, my list. Because, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, because it... Um, I mean, it doesn't really reinvent the Zelda formula because the uh, there was another Zelda game with this sort of similar promise of non-linearity, but that was also the you know original Zelda 1 from more than 30 years ago. Uh, it, but And this game, it, it, it feels like Zelda... 
but it, uh, in terms of its basic action-to-action sort of gameplay, but the way that it has an open world where if you can see something in the distance, you can walk up to it, and the way it, uh, it, it gives you a sense of discovery with all of the shrines and ways of unlocking things and uh, things like, like, the, like the Dark Island or the island where you lose all of your equipment randomly or the, the, like the Thunderstorm field. Or the, the side quest where you have to stalk one of the uh, guards of, the, of one of the early villages. It, it, there, there's so much discovery and hidden things that uh, both at the surface and deep under layers of quests and gameplay that I... I, I uh, <laughs> unless you do the Link's Awakening remake thing and go back to and, and uh, throw back to a specific area of Zelda nostalgia, I, I think every Zelda game is going to be measured up against this one going forward. And it's a, a, not a total reinvention, but a broadening and a deepening of Zelda like we've never seen before. And it, I, I think it's one of the best Zelda games. And I only say that with some recency bias. I was pretty blown <laughs> away by it. And I only got something like 85 out of 120 shrines, like low 80s. <laughs> only. Only. Yeah. That's a lot. I, I, I played this game for many hours, but I, and I, did, I beat the main story and got about between 80 and 85 shrines. And there is, there is so much to that game. And, uh, I, um, and, and just the, the open air, it was one of the most beautiful and um, satisfying open worlds to explore that I've ever checked out. Well, it was also on my list, even though I, I'm not as big of a fan of the game, but I can even... So I can certainly recognize that it is, it was, you know, from the, from the moment that it came out, I think it just captured everybody's hearts and attentions. And even to this day, people are still talking about it. And I think I agree that it's going to be a, a milestone for the series going forward that people might even kind of expect that future Zelda games will also kind of follow this mold because of how how much it uh, uh when you know it wasn't like you said it's not a complete change up for the series but it was enough of a a breath of fresh air god i'm awful with my puns now well i mean i don't think every single one will have to be measured against this but at least the ones that aren't aiming for a very specific nostalgic vibe link's awakening remake won't be compared to this and uh link between worlds was very deeply referential to a certain kind of zelda game and uh, being and recreating a lot of the map from a link to the past like those kind of games won't be compared to Breath sure of the but, Wild, but mainline all entries the, all the th- yeah mainline entries big 3d entries yeah. will be and any open world rpg survival game really like mm-hmm. right yeah to be honest it completely as a non-zelda fan i Zelda, like Breath of the Wild, completely blew me away. It's definitely my favorite in the series now, but the only other one I've, the only one, like, links, link between, Link to the Past was the only other one I really adored. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just did. Like, there's common complaints, like, it's too realistic. When it rains, you can't climb up mountains and things like that. And there's not enough music. The music complaint is baffling to me because I think the Breath of the Wild soundtrack is incredible and it does silence so well. 
Yeah, the moments of silence and like the the way that the open world can feel like lonely and vast yeah. is 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 helped by the silence. I, I thought it did music uh, brilliant. Yeah, so I just like as a non-Zelda fan going into it, it was the first Switch game I got and was like, yeah, you know what? Why not? Let's give it a go. And I beat it in seventy-five hours. Did all the shrines and walked away extremely satisfied. And I've yet to play the Switch game that I love more than it still. So I don't know. It just. It, it's really special. It did something really magical and it's going to be really hard to touch it, I think. Or at least it'll be held up as a paragon of what it did, like trying to do something slightly different with Zelda with, hey, look, this is your new open world thing. You don't have to do things in any order. You don't have to do side quests. You just survive. Go on. Here you go. No clothes out there. That's pretty much it. And yeah. <laughs> Start the game in your undies and you have to sur- <laughs> survival game to find your clothes. <laughs> here's a tunic and here's four special moves now you can do anything else you want including going right to the final yep. boss no i didn't do i didn't do that i'm not i'm, enough, no. I'm, not, I'm not that uh, uh masochistic no thank you <laughs> um i had a few more and i i think it, uh, i have to mention at least one of them um and this is another probably obvious choice when you think about this question but what's your three which are oh, three yeah. is still like kind of it's the game that a lot of RPGs are compared to, at least RPGs that are kind of going for the same style of of uh, of gameplay um, and storytelling, obviously. So, and I don't know that we've had a game necessarily that has surpassed it in, in that sense. So it's still kind of the the bar and the level to beat. Um, so. There's, of course, Witcher 3. Um, and of course, we'll see what happens with Cyberpunk 2077. Um, we'll see what CD Projekt Red does with that game uh, vis-a-vis what it, what it did for gameplay and storytelling in Witcher 3. Um, I toyed with the idea of including Xenoblade because of the original Xenoblade. Because yeah. I think that game, for all of its... Uh, um, shortcomings with regards to like the uh the side quest bloat and the graphics um at the time it still did a lot of great things that i think are still well remembered and loved by fans even if they don't maybe like the other games in the series as much as the original or you know whatever and certainly for what it did to sort of i i feel like maybe i'm a little off base but i feel like xenoblade kind of helped revitalize interest in jrpgs in general no i would agree with that it came out in a time where there was a jrpg drought like the tale series was in a drought the only really other good one that had come out recently i'm probably exaggerating a bit was nino kuni and some people had issues with that like they did with xenoblade but like personally i also had xenoblade chronicles on my little list and like the reasons are really similar like the world does this was the first open open world in some inverted commas rpg i'd really ever got into because that kind of stuff completely freaked me out um like i was like what am i gonna do like skyrim oblivion things like that were not up my alley and this was like a different way of dealing with it um but like the world design the actual like but being on two gods the characters the customization, everything about it just kind of blew me away at the time. And I think that because of where it came, because of that generation, I think it will, people will pick out one JRPG in that generation and go, oh yeah, Xenoblade, that's a, that's a special game. And it still is like the series 
hasn't really challenged it yet, I would say. Yeah, uh, Xenoblade on the Wii is excellent. I, I would play it again on the Switch, and that thing is like 100 damn hours. <laughs> and, I, and, I do, and I do not have 100 spare hours that I could be, that I could be playing, you know, a game for the podcast from War Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I haven't played any um, very much of X or 2, but the Wii Xenoblade is excellent. I don't, don't have anything else to comment, really. Do either of you have other games you wanted to mention? Well, the only other thing I would say is Persona 4 Golden, probably. Ah, yes, good pick. Uh, yeah, over 5, I think, because 5 has its own deeper issues that, you know, the rough translation and all of the other side things that it has problems with, and being too long. Uh, Persona 4 Golden is really if you want a ps vita that's really the only game you can like i'd say this is the persona 4 golden machine go away have fun with it but like it really put that series on the map like three was pretty popular amongst circles but persona 4 is one of those jrpgs that you can give to anybody and they'll be like hey i really dig something about this like whether it's the story the school life the battle system the personas the fusing there's so much to like about that game. It's not my favorite in the series, but it's definitely that it's the first one I played and it's the one that drew me into the rest of the game. So I think easily it's probably the best example of a PS2 slash handheld RPG we've had in recent memory, I would say. I want every RPG to look as good and be as stylish as Persona 5, but Persona 4, I think, um, is a better game for uh, just how close you feel to the characters and the setting. Mm -hmm. Um, Like being in a small town and mostly centered on a small group of friends with just enormous amounts of dialogue, uh, like literally exploring the psyche of the main characters and then, uh, and then like deepening your friendships with them. You feel very close to the town and the, and the characters of Persona 4, which make it a very, very uh, special RPG to me. But and if I like, I would I would almost consider Persona Five to be I don't know, I like Persona Four more, but I think Persona Five might be a like a more interesting and influential game yeah. that in terms of calling it a modern classic, just because it looks so stylish yeah. and everything from the the way you transition between menus and the way you go to a victory screen and the way uh, and just how good the the all out attack finishing moves look like I, I think uh, like stylistically. Um, I think Persona 5 is maybe the, the best RPG of the past um, 10 years, but in terms of, of narrative and as the total package, Persona 4 is better than Persona yeah, 5. Yeah, I think you're right. Es- especially, especially, the gold, especially the golden version, because you can dress up as a Super Sentai in that hmm. game. That gets your seal of approval every time, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, it, and, uh, well, all right, now let's take the next 15 minutes to talk about the specific Super Sentai shows that Persona 4 Golden draws from. <laughs> nope, nope. Um, back in we 1991. Don't to, we we don't have our listeners probably oh. don't have enough time to listen. <laughs> oh no! We've already been going for about two hours here, so which it's been a nice two hours. Yeah, guys, I'm really this is a, a lot of fun. It's been good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, my favorite thing is talking about shared experiences. So naturally, podcasting about video games is exactly mm-hmm. in that wheelhouse. Well, I think with that, unless there's anything, anything else that. Uh, uh, like, I don't know, Mike, if you had another game you wanted to add to that list? Um, I don't know. Uh, Monster Hunter World's good. <laughs> it's added. It's added. It is known. Discussion. Well, with that, uh, like I said, we've been chatting for close to two hours, so it's probably a good time to wrap things up. 
Um, I want to thank both Mike and Alana for joining me to this wonderful episode. You guys were both awesome. I love you lots. Um, as usual, of course, you can get in touch with us. We mentioned our handles at the beginning of the uh, I almost said the beginning of the game. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a game. This is, this is the game called Random Encounter. So at the beginning of the episode, of course, so you can chat with us, Twitter, Discord, whatnot. You can also, of course, if you have a general question for the show, uh, for Greg, something that you, or a suggestion, or something you, you know, maybe want us to discuss on the show, you can email us. Uh, the email address for RPG, for Random Encounter, rather, is podcast at RPGfan.com. If you haven't already, you can rate, review, subscribe to our show uh, on iTunes, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we love seeing uh, people tell us what they like and don't like so we can either improve or just keep being awesome for you people. Um, and like I said at the very beginning, Greg will be back in the next episode. Having said all that, I think that does it for this episode. So uh, for Alana, uh, for Mike and myself, thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you on another episode of Retro Encounter. <laughs>